Great. Well, I hope that you uh, slept well last night. I certainly did. I was uh, Scott uh, gave me got me room at the Hampton Inn, and uh, we stayed at the Hampton Inn um, on Myrtle Be- Beach as a family about seven or eight years ago. Had a fantastic family vacation, and um, and uh, so it's funny because it reminded me. I went into the um, breakfast area, and I remembered my girls who are now sixteen and fourteen when they were kind of that high, going crazy over the waffle machines, <laughs> and uh, it was fun. So um, we've been um, we've been re- yesterday really just talking about this whole idea of these two realms, this unseen realm, and and the idea that um, you know we've got. We we we're used to the physical realm that you can look at, you know, hear, taste, touch, smell, and um, and uh, we've been learning how to interact with the physical realm since we were babies, so we're good at it. And then you come to know Jesus, and there's this other invisible realm, the heavenly realm, and Jesus is clear talking to Nicodemus in John's Gospel. He's clear that um, if you're born again, you can see the supernatural realm. But the problem for us is you don't see it with your physical senses. So what does it mean? How does that work? It's kind of a bit you know, unusual. It's weird. And we're trying to learn how to do that. Um, but then when we, um, when we start sharing stories, you know, in, the, in the kind of um, evangelical, um, non-charismatic church tradition I've grown up in, um, we don't realize how much is going on supernaturally because generally we don't tend to talk about it. So people all have these different experiences, but they tend to be kept personal and private and so on. And the problem with that is that... Uh, well, th- there's a good thing about that. The good thing is it doesn't, in- it doesn't encourage this kind of weird craziness that you get in some churches where it seems to be that, that, that that's all they focus on. But the not-so-good thing is it stops us from actually encouraging each other and growing in those things and, and normalizing them and making them things that are part of being a Christian. And if we're trying to follow Jesus... Um, clearly those things were normal for him. He didn't act in a weird way. Well, sometimes he did some weird stuff. I mean, I wouldn't advocate, you know, if someone's got a problem with their eyes, I wouldn't advocate spitting on some dirt and rubbing it in their eyes. You know, that probably wouldn't go down very well. Um, I think there are certain things that, you know, since he was, you know, God incarnate and um, didn't make mistakes, then maybe he could sometimes have a level of boldness that we need to be cautious of because we will make mistakes. And mistake like that would be a bad one if the Lord hadn't told us to do it, wouldn't it? Um, uh, so, you know, sometimes he did stuff that could be considered weird. But by the, time, but the, the things that he did that were really um, strange to people kind of were already accompanied by him demonstrating a clear spiritual authority that meant that people accepted them at that point, you know? So obviously, as we're on the journey, we need to recognize that... Um, we can't control the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wants to do something weird, that's up to him. But we can decide how we behave, and we're going to behave in a way that's obviously respectful, that's non-manipulative, that, um, but also that is, that is beginning to stretch in boldness a little bit and say, well, if, you, if you're prompting me, Lord, I'm going to just be a little bit more bold. you know. Um, so we're going to press in a little bit to that. And um, what's the limits that we can expect God to do. Um, could we just go back to slide five um, on the thing, which is the John 14 passage that Jesus uh, gave, just the next slide after that one. Um, and uh, do you remember, we just kind of finished up last night, just on the next slide, if we can go forward one more, that'd be great. Thank you, thanks. Um, that it really suggesting that 
um, yeah, that was the one. There we go. And um, do you know, I, I did a talk the other day where um, they gave me a clicker so I could do the thing, and I didn't know. The sound guys, was, the, the visual guys were so good that I didn't know that it wasn't working because all he did was watch my thumb, and every time I went like that, he changed it. I was like, this is, this is great. He just did the whole thing. I was completely none the wiser. So, yeah, so, you know, the, the thing about this passage, it's, this is, I don't know about you, but for, for those of us who haven't grown up in this environment, this is a very disturbing passage because you can't get away from it because it's, I mean, one, it's Scripture. Two, it's not, just, not even just Scripture. It's direct quotation of Jesus. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, you can't argue with the authority of this passage. And um, it's three, it's pretty unequivocal. You know, it's not like if you follow me, you might occasionally um, in some small way touch the, the merest corner of the ministry that I've been operating in. It's not that he's saying you're going to do the same things I've done, you're going to do more. And, um, and so... Uh, when I first kind of really read that with eyes that saw it, I, I felt very convicted because I felt like, well, that's the bar that you're setting for discipleship, Lord. And frankly, I never see anything of the supernatural side of your ministry, pretty much, except there are some supernatural things. Getting saved was definitely supernatural. It was a supernatural thing that the Lord did in me. There's been some sanctification stuff. I, I've still got whole areas of my life that are not, haven't gone through the cross yet. But there are some areas of my life that have changed, and I know that I couldn't have changed in that way. So that's definitely supernatural. And, you know, there's, there's been occasional incidents where you think that must have been God. Like I shared with my mum, you know, receiving joy, um, having had a very traumatic childhood in a supernatural way. But it certainly doesn't look like the ministry of Jesus. I mean, he was doing, like, crazy stuff all the time, wasn't he? And um, didn't have any problem drawing in the crowds because um, they could see that it was real, you know. And so... Um, and, I, and, and so, you know, we've got there. I mean, I assume that if there's a gap between our experience and what the Bible says, that's because the Lord wants there to be a gap there. He's, he's, he wants there to be a challenge to us. And um, so the thing for me is, do I just duck that challenge and completely, you know, avoid it and ignore it? Or do I actually respond to it and say, okay, well, what does that mean then, God? What, what's the implication? So I want to talk a bit today about what happens when you start stepping out. And I think that this has been part of the issue for us. Um, do you remember we talked about um, two, 2 Corinthians 10 yesterday, 2 Corinthians 10. English people say 2 Corinthians, in America you say 2 Corinthians, so, you say, forgive me if I say it the wrong way around. Um, and um, and uh, in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about the spiritual battle that we're involved in being one where we have to pull down ways of thinking, arguments and pretensions in our minds that um, have been put there by the enemy that are designed to stop us getting at the deeper things of God. Yeah, so, and, and Paul talks in other places about the same process, doesn't he? So Romans 12, you know, don't be conformed to, the, to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah? So the thing about for us as Christians is we, we, we need to be clear, the heart is not the battleground. At the point at which you decided to follow Jesus, he gave you a new heart um, right at the center of who you are the Holy Spirit is living there. It's a done deal. That's why you're going to go to heaven. You're, you belong to him and so on. But we know, don't we, that just because that's happened in the, at the core of who we are, spirit, it's a spiritual um, resurrection, if you like, um, that doesn't necessarily follow that immediately our bodies, our emotions, our minds are suddenly all you know, perfect. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I would say far from it. Yeah? And so we still get sick. 
that's our bodies you know so clearly the 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 fullness of transformation that's already happened at the very core of who we are hasn't yet fully spread out to our bodies yeah we still think bad stuff we still get entrenched and stuck in our ways you know all that kind of stuff so clearly our minds haven't yet fully been taken over um we still get really angry about stuff we shouldn't get angry about all that kind of stuff so our emotions haven't fully been taken over there's a battle isn't there and and um the the way that paul explains that in one in first corinthians um 10 is he he digs back i think this is my um exegesis but he, he to me he digs back to the story of the people of israel entering canaan from from the desert um because he talks about, he uses the analogy of strongholds. And there's only one really consistent picture. He's a man of the Bible, man of the Old Testament. There's only one consistent picture of strongholds in the Old Testament. And it's, it's that, it's the walled cities that the people of Israel faced when they were coming into the land of Canaan. God had already given them the land of Canaan. It already belonged to them. But then they had to spend their whole life fighting a battle, fighting battles to pull down those walled cities, the first of which was Jericho. And so you can see that they clearly had to do it by... It wasn't just about um, military prowess, was it? They had to do it by faith. I mean, they weren't even, I mean Jericho, they had, did fighting, but not until the walls had come down. I mean, they had to do all that weird, you know, processing around the walls thing, um, which has led to thousands of Christians over the years processing around these walls or those walls. Um, you know, and, um, and, and so they, they had to do stuff by faith... Um, but what they were doing is they were fighting to occupy what they already own. They already own it in the, in the heavenly realms, but in order for, it to be, for that ownership to be established in the physical realm, they had to fight a spiritual battle. And I would suggest to you that that is something that we have to do. Um, and and here's, here's the thing that's happened over the years. We read Scripture, we're challenged by it, and so we step out on Scripture and we do what the Bible says, and then it doesn't work. Now, I know that sounds heretical, but actually, I think it's just being honest. And because we, as, you know, because as a very broad tribe, evangelicals, we believe that the Bible is fully inspired, it's God's word to us, it can't not work, it has to work, so, but it hasn't worked in our experience, so then we have to come up with some excuse. Yeah, we generally call it theology. Yeah, We have to come up with clever theology to explain why the Bible doesn't do what it says it does yeah because our only other option is to walk away from the bible and that would not we we have had a supernatural encounter with god we know it's real and at one level we know it's real so we've got this kind of conflict haven't we it's like well i know it's real but it doesn't seem to work so what i don't what do you do yeah and um and so what some traditions have done is they've said it's real but it doesn't work because you haven't got the faith or you're not holy enough or you're not whatever and basically turn it into an accusation thing. Here's my problem with that. The person who's called the accuser in Scripture is Satan, not God. Yeah. So as soon as your answer is an accusation of some kind, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel very nervous. It, it feels like, hmm. God can convict us, but conviction is very different from condemnation, isn't it? Condemnation is like this wet blanket that the enemy throws over us that just says, you're useless, you know. Whereas conviction is sharp and specific, and although it hurts, it brings life with it, because it, with it comes the ability to change. God says, you need to deal with this issue in your life, and you think, okay, and this is what you need to do. You know? And um, they're two very different things, aren't they? So, 
Uh, I think that that approach of saying, oh, you didn't get healed because you haven't got the faith, the, the, the thing about that is that, um, to me, the fruit of that is condemnation, not conviction. It's not like, oh, well, that was a powerful message that spoke to my heart and now I can change. It's more like, well, I'm useless, I'm stuck, now I'm sick and guilty. Yep. And so that's clearly not the route to go down. But, um, but we can go down the other route, which is that thing of, well, we just come up with theological excuses. And um, we were challenged as a church. I, I'm going to tell you two stories, uh, one in this session, one in the next session, one to do with um, supernatural healing and one to do with prophecy, which as far as I can see, in broad categories, are the two main areas of supernatural walk that we're called to. I mean, there are other things like words of knowledge and stuff like that, but they kind of fit into prophecy, you know. Um, and by the way, whether you use the word prophecy or not, I, I don't know, I, I, use it or don't use it. The problem with the word prophecy is, on the one hand, it's the biblical word. On the other hand, it's been misused by so many denominations for so many times. It, it's got some kind of negative connotations for us, hasn't it? So it's like, whatever. I mean, it, it, may, be that, it, it may be that in this church, the thing to do is just to make up some useful language that helps helps us to express it. Because what you're saying is, but, but well, what I'd say to you is when I'm talking about prophecy, I'm not talking about all of that bad baggage. I'm talking about what the Bible's talking about, hopefully. Well, that'd be my aim anyway. Yeah, And um, so broadly, there's this category, I think, called prophecy, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 says, you need to eagerly desire that, especially that. Yeah, And what it basically comes down to is hearing God in some way. Yeah. And so there are other things he talks about. He talks about words of knowledge and, you know, wisdom. And all, but basically, it, to me, it all comes under the category of hearing God more clearly. Yeah? And then there's this other kind of big area, which is what you see in the ministry of Jesus, which is he just went around healing people all the time. Yeah? Two big areas. And then there's a few other kind of spiritual gifts and things um, scattered around, which um, if God wants to give a gift, then it must be important and it, and it must be valuable. And we, when we're supposed to eagerly desire all of the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So it's like prophecy is, it's almost like prophecy is more important, but they are all important. But there are other gifts like the tongues and things like that, that frankly, um, if we had like a week, we could talk about them. But to me, um, they, they could be a distraction at this point. Um, just that, you know, where I stand on that gift, I, I, pra- I personally practiced that gift. I, I felt like the Lord challenged me about it and I felt I received that gift probably when I was in my kind of late 20s um, for me it's for personal prayer um, none of the churches I've ever led would I um, release people to use it in a service because I think Paul's very clear about that but basically there, there are some gifts that are, that are for our own personal edification and use with the Lord which can be amazing for me the, the use of that gift is just there are times where I want to pray but I've run out of things to say and so it's a way for me to pray with my heart while focusing on the Lord and it's enabled me to extend my prayer time sometimes plus there's times where you're in danger or you're facing something and but you still have to concentrate so my personally I've used the gift of tongues quite a lot when I'm driving the car and it looks like it's a dangerous situation I just need to pray but I can't be thinking about what the words are you know um but um but but that uh, Paul's really clear about and he that that gift is quite useful his teaching on that gift because I think it gives us a general principle which is this he's saying if you if you have that gift and you use it in a public um gathering worship service type thing and people come in who don't know the lord they're going to think you're crazy i know that's my paraphrase but that's basically what he's saying yeah so he's saying don't do that instead practice gifts that're going to demonstrate that god is really among you like prophecy yeah so he's saying if you 
if you hear something from the Lord and you say it to someone who doesn't know the Lord and it clearly is from the Lord, they're gonna, he says they'll fall to their knees and say, surely God is among you. Whereas if they come in and find you, you know, jabbering on in some sort of nonsense language, they're just going to think you're crazy. Yeah? So for us as a church, as we've gone on this journey from being you know, just an just a everyday conservative evangelical church to learning the things of the Spirit in Sheffield, we basically took that as a general guide. was, okay, we want to step into the supernatural things, but if somebody comes in who doesn't know anything about God, are they going to find us as an ordered, friendly, welcoming group of people who also have some supernatural stuff going on? Or are they going to find us as a bunch of crazies that they just think, I'm not coming back there? Yeah, And so that's been like a, a little kind of rule of thumb for us as we're trying to work out how do we do this stuff. So for example, we've seen um, times, we'd have a prayer time after the service, and um, uh, sometimes when we're praying for people, as we've moved into these things, frankly the power of the Holy Spirit just comes on somebody and somebody who's really touched by God and it can be a very profound experience for them and you notice they start kind of wobbling you know as they're and you think this person might fall over so you know the worst of Pentecostalism would say go for the fall you know great this person's been slain in the spirit <laughs> Woo! aren't I powerful you know we'd say excuse me you look as if you're a bit unsteady can, can we get you a chair you know it's not rocket science this is it you know what I'm saying you know, so what we're trying to do is we're just trying to do stuff. So this is why we call this thing naturally supernatural. We're not trying to do like this show. We're trying to just genuinely help, genuinely help people. You know what I'm saying though, don't you? It's like, would you like to sit down? You know. <laughs> um, so it's that kind of journey. But here's the thing: when you start stepping out of this, I, I think maybe I'll talk a little bit about um, the, the journey that we, we went on trying to get breakthrough for healing. Um, first and then we'll have some time to do some exercises and then we'll do some stuff on maybe on hearing God um, to finish on Um, because it's good to finish on the most important I think it's the most important thing because Paul says especially prophecy and we know don't we from our discipleship journey that if you're really doing Holy Spirit led discipleship the primary question we're all asking anyway is what's God saying what am I going to do about it so obviously if we get better at hearing what God's saying then that's a good thing isn't it so with the healing stuff, what happened was we, we went through two seasons of change. The first was in the 80s as a church where that stuff, like when, when that guy, when John Wimber came to um, my Baptist church in, in, um, in Peterborough in England, he also came to the church I ended up pastoring in Sheffield and they went through a similar thing. It was in the late 80s and basically it's this thing of, okay, God does do supernatural stuff. That's amazing. I mean, frankly, a game changer for a lot of people because it's like, if you've grown up only doing, reading the Bible and singing hymns and trying to do good works, the, the experience that God actually can do supernatural stuff is a really powerful thing. It's like, wow, this is amazing. So that was great. But basically, what that, the way that showed itself in our church in Sheffield was, after the service, we would have a bunch of people who'd stand over to one side to be available for prayer, for healing. And if you wanted to go and receive prayer for healing, emotional healing or physical healing, they'd pray for you. And basically, they'd... They'd, you know, you train them how to pray for you. We probably lay hands on people because that's what the Bible says you should do. But you do it respectfully. You ask permission. You say, would you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? We're just going to pray for you. And we'd pray. And frankly, most times people might say, well, that was really, I felt, I could feel that God was there and, you know, encouraged me. We didn't usually see people get healed. Um, maybe very occasionally maybe once or twice in a year this is a fairly big church it was that even in those days it was maybe seven or eight hundred people so there's lots of people around maybe once or twice in a year we would have some instance where somebody did get healed and we were like 
isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? You know, but most of the time people didn't. And um, and uh, and what we did was we just came up with theology to explain that. So we would say, um, well, um, God works in all things for good. That's true. We all know that, don't we? So maybe He's leaving you sick. He's not healing you because there's a there's a deeper work He's wanting to do in you to do with your maturity. We know that we're being you know we're being got ready for heaven. And that becoming Christ-like in our character is the number one agenda for God for us. So it may be that God's just allowing you to stay injured or stay sick or whatever because he's got a, it, he definitely loves you. There's no, it's not that he's punishing you, but it may be that there's a, a, a deeper kind of thing that he's doing. And it does say in the Bible that he disciplines us as children because he loves us, he wants us to, you know. So we used to come up with things like that. Um, and um, partly, I think, one thing that the Lord's challenged us about was we felt like we always have to have an explanation and uh, one of the things I think that's changed for me as I've gone on in this stuff is to realise that actually it's okay sometimes to say, don't really know. You know, because we've had such a premium on intellectual capital, like the preacher's supposed to know everything. And sometimes I think that can get us into trouble because we can be very dogmatic on stuff the Bible doesn't actually talk about much. You know, and it's like, so we've got to watch that one, haven't we? And so one of the things is that we've more recently is like, actually, we don't necessarily have to have all the answers and we don't have to pretend that we do. Um, there are things that we don't get yet, and maybe we'll understand them in the future, or maybe we won't understand them to heaven. That's okay. We trust God anyway. But we kept coming up with these explanations. And then one time this guy came who was introduced to us by some folks that we trusted, um, but it was a bit out of our normal kind of box. And he was a guy called Roger Sapp, and he was, um, I think he'd come from like a Pentecostal background or something like that, but he, he was working mainly with evangelical churches. And um, he was teaching on... Um, on the gift of healing and on you know all that stuff and um, you know we believed in that we sometimes saw it happen not very often um, it's interesting you know visiting we'd probably have about five or six visiting speakers a year so it's like here's our visiting speaker for May or whatever it was and you know great but actually when he came we didn't quite know what we'd invited uh, you know in him um, because actually he was pretty challenging and he was pretty in your face about this stuff. I mean, not, not, in his, not in his manner. He was a gentle guy, but he was, what he said was actually quite a long way away from our theology. So with like, I remember, because I was just part of, the, I was part of the junior member of the team then, I remember talking to someone else and I was saying, um, Mike Bream was our senior pastor, saying, uh, do you think Mike knew what he was getting when he invited this guy? Because what he said was very radical. He said, um, uh, you guys... Um, are coming up with clever theology to explain why God doesn't do stuff, but actually you're misrepresenting the, the character of God. His challenge was, if you want to know what God's like, who is the person that you need to look at? We'd all say Jesus. I mean, it's always the right answer, isn't it, Jesus? It's like at Sunday school. Your, your Sunday school teacher could say, you know, what has, a, what has a fluffy tail and eats nuts? And the answer would still be Jesus, you know. So we're like, so he would say, so he would say, you know, the kid goes, well, I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel, you know. Um, and so he'd say, you know, who's the, who's the, if you want to know what God's like, who do you look at? We'd all say Jesus. And he said, okay, you give me one example where Jesus said no when someone asked him for healing, just one. And um, it was really challenging. We're like, gosh, I mean. And we, we found one example. And, and actually what we did was, we, we wanted, as a, as a, as a, as a team, we prided ourselves, and perhaps this is foolish pride, we, we, we like to think that we were Berean. You know, you know, in Paul's missionary journeys in Acts, it says he went from Thessalonica to Berea. 
And he said the people of Berea were more, more noble than the people of Thessalonica because when they heard new things they hadn't heard before, they eagerly studied the scriptures to see if they were true. Yeah? And we've always said we want to be Berean. If someone says something to us that goes beyond what we know, our touchstone is the scriptures. So we'll, we're, we, we need to be prepared to study the Bible and see whether what they're saying is true or not. So we thought we'll do that. And actually, I remember Mike had a group of us, um, and we, did, we spent several months looking through all four Gospels, asking the question, did Jesus ever say no? And we found lots of examples where Jesus walked past people who were sick. You know, like the Paul of Siloam, he went to the one guy, but I mean, there were tons of sick people who didn't heal all of them. So he didn't heal everybody. There were times where he healed everybody, but not all the time. But the problem was that we couldn't find an example of where someone actually asked. Because if someone, if someone is actually coming up for prayer, they're asking Jesus for healing, aren't they? And we couldn't find an example of someone coming and asking him and him saying no. We did find one example of him saying wait. And that was Lazarus, his friend. Do you remember? They came and said, will you come? Will you come? He said, it's going to be better if we wait. And then Lazarus died. And, um, but then he raised him from the dead. So you can't really... Use it as an example for saying that he said no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But you can, you can say, um, you know, if there's even just one example of it, then that means sometimes that might be the case. So you can say there may be times where the, answer, the Lord's answer is wait. There's something I'm doing, just wait. I, I, I want to heal you, but you just need to wait. Um, but you can't really suggest from the ministry of Jesus that it's a common or expected normal thing. It would be an occasional thing. Generally, the answer was yes. Yeah. So that then really pushed a theological you know, conundrum onto us, which was, well, if that's true, how come nobody, hardly anybody ever gets healed? And um, so we started looking at that, and we found, we said, okay, let's look at all the examples where in the Gospels where people didn't get healed for some reason. And we found a few examples. We found, things, we found um, the disciples at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when Jesus had been transfigured and... Moses and Elijah had appeared and then they came back down the mountain and at the foot of the mountain the disciples had an epileptic boy and it said they tried to heal him but they couldn't. Do you remember that? And um, so they bring him to Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, um, it's because you haven't got enough faith. Great. And, uh, and he says, and he also says in one of the other things, it's because this is a demon and it only comes out through prayer and fasting. I mean, talk about out of our box. We're like, it's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? When you read these things just as stories, it's great. When you read them, when you're actually thinking about application, it's a whole different deal, you know, applying them in your own. And, um, but what we noticed was he didn't tell the boy, the sick person, that they didn't have enough faith. And he didn't say it to an individual. He said it to the whole group of disciples. He said, because you, plural, don't have enough faith. So that's kind of interesting. And then there's an example where Jesus, and this is the scriptural word, could not couldn't perform miracles We're like, what's that about and it was in Nazareth do you remember it says he all he could do is lay his he couldn't perform many miracles there because as a as a town they had so little faith he could only lay his hands on a few people and heal them yeah well that that challenged us at two levels one it challenged us because we thought well that's us in our church we don't see really miracles and just occasionally there's a few people who get healed so we're Nazareth that was kind of challenging. Yeah, not Berea, exactly. Yeah, we're not Berea, we're Nazareth, exactly. Um, but the other thing was the use of the word could not, talking about Jesus, because what that told us is 
it doesn't just depend on the faith of the person praying because Jesus had perfect faith. There are some other factors going on here. Yeah? And then we, we looked at some other things. What, what, are there other stories in the Bible of where people pray for things to happen that God wants to happen and they don't happen immediately? And there were lots of them, but one that stood out was um, Daniel 10, Daniel chapter 10. He read in Jeremiah the prophecy that said that the people of Israel would be um, in exile for 70 years and then they'd be released from exile. And he realized that time was up, it was 70 years. So this is a really godly man, probably one of the most godly men in scripture, Daniel. It says, doesn't it, the angel said to him when he appeared to him that he was highly esteemed. And... um, and so he starts praying and fasting that the people of Israel be released. So he prays, it's 70 years, Lord. You're, you're, I'm just praying back scripture to you. Jeremiah said that after 70 years the people will be released. Please release them. What happens? Nothing. So he prays and fasts for another day. What happens? Nothing. He keeps going, he keeps going for a week. Nothing. Two weeks, nothing. Three weeks later, 21 days I think it is, um, you know, the angel appears to him. And uh, he has this incredible vision that leaves him trembling and weak and everybody else who's there kind of runs away. Um, And the angel says this, he says, God heard you the minute he started praying, Daniel, and he sent me. It's taken me three weeks to get here because the demonic prince of Persia was resisting me. I couldn't get through. And then Michael, the angel over the people of Israel, came and helped me and we won and now here I am. And it's just like, just for a few seconds, the curtain of what's going on in in the heavenly realm is just... The curtain's pulled aside and you can you just get a little glimpse. I think the Lord gives us a little glimpse because I don't think we're supposed to be building huge amounts of doctrine and theology on that necessarily. You know, I don't I think if God wants us to really focus on something, it's going to be there a lot, which is why we can't get away without talking about healing, because it's there a lot in the ministry of Jesus. But demons and angels and all that stuff, you get a few glimpses. So my thing is we're supposed to know they're there. We're supposed to expect them to be involved in what we're doing but we're probably not supposed to focus on them too much. That would be my takeaway, yeah? But it is interesting that, because that doesn't give us this whole ability to build this whole angelology or demonology or something, but what it does do is it says there's complex stuff going on in, in the spiritual realm that we don't know and we don't understand. So sometimes when we pray for something to happen, it doesn't happen. There may be there's stuff going on in the, in the heavenly realm that we just don't know about. It's clear that the fall hasn't just occurred in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. There's not just fallen human beings, there's also fallen angels. And just as fallen human beings do bad stuff that in the short term does not conform to God's will. Now, because God's omnipotent, he's going to make it all conform in the end. He's going to bring it all round. He'll bring greater good out of the things that are bad. We know that. But short term, it's not God's will that somebody like shoots a kid, is it? I mean, that's not, that's not God's will. God will have his will in the end, and um, who knows how God will put things like that right, but I know that he will. But we, as fallen beings, are able to go against God's will. That's because he gives us free will. We're able to go against his will in the short term. And um, as far as I can tell from Scripture, the same is true of fallen angels, demons. They can, they can go against God's will in the short term, which means they can do things to you that God doesn't want to happen to you. Yeah? And we can't even see them, which means when they do stuff to you, who knows what's going on. And it may be, when I say they do stuff to you, it may be directly or it may be indirectly. There's three areas, aren't there? There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. None of those three things are conformed to God's will right now. Yeah, Our own flesh, our own desire to be comfortable, to put ourselves first, to do things the way we want, to meet our own needs. The world, 
which is all of you know society and you know bombarded with commercials all the time eat this eat that do this do that you know the world and then the unseen realm the devil demonic forces all of them are trying to um, do things that go against god's will for us none of them will succeed in the long term but in the short term the free will that god gives us is real which means there really are consequences to that and we know that, don't we? That's our experience. We we know that in our own lives when we've chosen to listen to the flesh or whatever instead of to the Lord. Isn't he gracious? I mean, I, you know, coming back to C.S. Lewis, one of my, um, you know, one of the folks I've really found helpful, you know, he says, God must so value free will if he's prepared to tolerate um, a state of war in the universe for millennia in order to allow free will. He just must really value it. Yeah? which is great because he could easily turn us into a bunch of puppets any time, but he doesn't want to, does he? So, we're, so we can't draw like really complex theology out of it. But what we can say is the spiritual realm is a complicated place. We can't see it, but there's stuff going on in it. Probably that might mean that there's things that we'll pray for that God wants to happen that don't happen immediately. Yeah, And in fact, Jesus even talked to that because he told two parables, didn't he? The parable of the widow and the unjust judge and the parable of the friend and the bread. And um, I'm trying to think where that is. Is that Luke 18? Could you have a, just have a check for me, Scott, and see? Have you, oh, you haven't got a Bible. The pastor doesn't have a Bible. Oh, sorry. The only reason I have one is because I've got it on my phone. So it's like, so could someone just... Luke 18, is it? Yeah, so in Luke 18, it's the, um, it's the parable of the, um, of the uh, widow and the unjust judge. And basically, she's asking him for justice about something that's not clear what it is. And um, he, he basically, it, does, it says he doesn't fear man or God. So he's not, he doesn't have a religious reason to do what she says. He doesn't expect judgment one day. And he does, he's more powerful than anyone else he knows, so why should he do it? And, it's, and Jesus said, even though he won't give her um, justice because um, he fears God or man, he'll give her justice because she keeps knocking on his door day and night. You know, he says, in the end, he says, if I give her justice, maybe she'll go away, you know. And then Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven who loves you bring justice to his children that cry out day and night, yeah? So there's this, there's this picture of, um, and it actually, most, most of the parables don't tell you what the parables mean until maybe later. This one is unusual. It actually says, he told them this parable so that when they pray, they would persevere and not give up. Let's just be clear. If Jesus is telling us a parable so that we persevere and not give up, what that means is we're going to pray for things to happen that God wants to happen, and they're not going to happen. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to persevere, would we? Yeah? That's quite, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first understood that, it was like fireworks going off in my head. I was like, my goodness. I mean, so maybe if we pray for someone to get healed and they don't get healed, it doesn't automatically mean that God doesn't want to heal them for example. Yeah? So here's, here's the picture that we developed um, in, in our church. We called this the cliff of faith. And um, what we said was this. Um, you get this situation where God's word is clear. It's, God's word is operating by the rules of the heavenly realm. It's always true. But sometimes its truth stems from the heavenly realm and not the earthly realm. Yeah? So, for example, when God's word says in James, if it are any of you sick, get the elders to pray for them, anoint them with oil, 
and the sick person will be made well, unequivocal language, it doesn't say might, will be made well, and if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven, which is a really important little passage because often the enemy will accuse us, they'll say, oh, you didn't get healed because you sinned. But the, the Bible's really clear, you'll get healed and you get forgiven. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an inheritance type thing, isn't it? Now that is not, that particular scripture, that's not really operating out of the rules of the earthly realm, is it? The earthly realm, people don't just get healed just because you say some words over them and pray. Yeah, anoint them with a bit of oil. That's clearly talking about the heavenly realm. Yeah, but we are rooted in the earthly realm and that's what we're used to and that's how we operate. So we step out and we say, okay, somebody's sick. We're going to get some folks to pray for them. Um, you know, Jesus said, the things I've done you'll be doing. So he healed people. Um, Jesus said, we should pray every day, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it, will this person be sick in heaven? No. We, I don't think it's that difficult to construct a case that it's a legitimate thing to pray for someone for healing, yeah? Or that God wants them to be healed. So we're going to pray for you for healing. Great. We, we've, we've convinced ourselves. We're going to pray. We're gathered in Jesus' name around you. Jesus promised if two or more gather in his name, he'd be here. The Bible says we're the body of Christ. So actually by his Holy Spirit through our bodies, Jesus is even physically present when we're praying for you. You know, Can you hear, as I'm just saying these things, the, the faith begins to go up, doesn't it? And we're going to pray for you, and we're going to press in and pray that you get healed. So we pray for you, and nothing happens. So, oh, right, let's come up with some clever theology to bring God's word down to the level of our experience. Maybe God doesn't want to heal you. Or... Do we stay in a position of humility? Do we humble ourselves under God's almighty hand that he might lift us up in due time? And do we say, well, we're not going to pretend that you've been healed if you haven't. Which, by the way, I've seen in some Pentecostal traditions. They'll say, well, we've prayed it, so it must be true, so now we're going to thank God that he's healed you. And, um, and it's like they're thanking God that he's healed you while you're still sick. It's like, hang on, I'm not healed. You know, There's a difference between faith and denial. Yeah, uh, Abraham faced the reality that his body was good as dead and still believed that God was going to heal him. That's faith. You face the reality, but you still believe in God. Whereas denial is... I'm just turning my, I've got this watch that's buzzing at me. I'll just turn it off. So that, um, so where, Whereas denial kind of pretends that something isn't quite there. you know. And frankly, if you start going down that route, you're moving towards kind of Christian science. You know, It's like, oh, sickness is an illusion or whatever. It's like weird stuff. So... We're, gonna, we're not going to pretend that someone's been healed if they haven't been healed. But we're going to pray for healing. We're going to believe it. We're going to step out. We, we've got lots of biblical evidence that this is right. Jesus never said no. So why would he start saying no now? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we say, do all that. We pray for somebody. They don't get healed. So now, now what do we do? Yeah? And it's as if you're standing at the bottom of this cliff. And there's your experience. And God's words at the top of the experience, uh, at the top of the cliff. And you just can't climb it. It's like, I, I don't know what we now do. Yeah? Or, um, that's the image that we've used in church, but actually a more biblical image would be, it's as if you're standing in front of a walled city, a stronghold, yeah? and, God's, and, and God's told you to take it, but you can't take it. So what do you do? Do you give up and walk away, or do you just say, oh, well, the stronghold belongs to us anyway, so we're good, we'll just go around it. I mean, that's not doing what God's told to do. Do you see? Do you see? And so what we did was, um, we went, we'd gone through this process as a church. We'd got to the point where we'd resolved. I mean, you know, you guys are doing well to keep up with this conversation because I'm talking to you in 20 minutes, something that took us probably six to eight months to get to the point where we were, we're, we were thinking, yeah, we, we, 
we don't think Jesus said no. That took us about six to eight months before we could say it. And actually, when, when we got to that point, Mike Breen actually stood up at the church publicly and publicly repented. He said, we've taught you that if you don't get healed, it's probably because God doesn't want to heal you. We don't believe that anymore because we don't think it's biblical. And um, we're not saying that you'll definitely get healed. We're definitely not saying if you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith because Jesus never said that to anybody. Um, but probably what's going on is there's stuff in the spiritual realm we don't understand. Probably also we as a whole community don't have enough faith. We're taking a corporate responsibility. And as a church, we're going to continue to repent and believe and persevere. And we're going to trust that the time might come where God gives us more faith. In the meantime, if you, if you um, die, um, you'll be welcomed into heaven as a hero who fell in that battle. Yeah, because we're, we're called to battle against sin, Satan, sickness, sadness, any other rest word you can think of. Yeah, yeah we're called, there, it's all part of the battle. Yeah, it's all part of the battle. It's all part of the fall. It's all part of the brokenness. Jesus came, John said, to destroy the works of the evil one. We're part of that mission. Yeah. So we're going to start a battle here as a church against sickness, as well as the battles we're already fighting for, for people's salvation. You know, against sin, about all those other things. We're, we're going to we're going to start doing that. And if you fall in the battle, you'll be welcome home to heaven as a hero. So we'd move from this mindset that just. Um, did this jump from knowing that God was sovereign to assuming that everything that happened was his direct will to moving to knowing that God's sovereign, he will win, but knowing that he's called us into a battle. It was a warfare mindset. Yeah, And we found that that's, we, it doesn't give, hasn't given us all the answers, but it's given us a mu- it feels like a much better mindset to be able to engage with these things. Yeah, And so what Mike said was, he said, here's what we'll do. We're going to have evening prayers for healing, Monday through Friday, and it's going to be short it's going to be half an hour, 7 till 7.30. Evenings tend to be later. In the, people tend to do things later in the UK. That would be the equivalent of maybe doing it at 6 till 6.30 here. And all we're going to do is we'll gather together. Somebody will pray, play one song. Um, uh, a member of the senior team will share a, a three-minute word. And then we'll get everybody to come up. And we'll just do what James says. We'll get a little bit of oil. We'll put a cross on your head. And we'll say, you know, be healed in the name of Jesus. Please heal, please, please heal them, Lord. We do both things. Because Jesus told us to ask our Father for the things we need, so please, that's be please heal, heal them, Lord. Um, but also, you see examples in Acts of um, the disciples proclaiming healing, like Peter and John at the temple at the beautiful gate when they healed the crippled guy. They said, "In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk." So basically, we just hedge our bets. We just say both. So we say, "Lord, please heal them in the name of Jesus. Be healed." You know, I mean. Who knows? Let's just say whatever. Let's just say it all. So we'll just do that. We'll do it in a very ordered way. It'll just be a quiet, meditative type service, but we'll do that. And Mike said, um, this is what you should do. If you've got a sickness, particularly if it's a chronic condition or something like that, you know, that you've not got healed of, just set a rhythm that you can persevere with. Maybe maybe you come once a week or maybe a couple of times a week or maybe even once every other week or whatever. Just come and we'll be here every time. As, as the senior team, our hearts sank because we knew that this was like every evening from 7 till 7.30 we were all going to be there. Um, and we'll pray for you. And he said, this is, this, is the, this is our declaration of war as a church. He said, we're going to keep praying for you till one of these things happens. You get healed, you die, we die, or Jesus comes back. 
Yeah, We're going to just keep praying until one of those things happens. Because when Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow, he said, after he'd said it all, he said, so that you persevere and don't give up, he said, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faithfulness in the land? And we said, here's, here's the thing. If we, keep, if we p- persevere, the worst case scenario is Jesus comes back and finds us still doing what he told us to do. Well, that's good enough for us. You know, we don't know whether we know we're going to win the war. We don't know if we're going to win this particular battle, but we're going to fight it anyway. Yeah, and there was a real spirit in the church of this wasn't like um, a gung ho, you know, super charismatic, triumphalist thing. This was like okay, um, there was a, there was a soberness about it, sobriety about it. It's like okay, um, actually, this is a we've been avoiding this battle, and God wants us to fight it, so we're going to fight it. And uh, we started doing it, and do you know what happened? We, we did it for f- six months, and um, there was absolutely no change. Uh, nobody got healed. Maybe occasionally somebody got healed. A lot of people were encouraged, you know. So we carried on. So we did it for a year. Still a year in, no real change. Two years, three years, still not much change. And um, I was getting discouraged. And one time I was praying, and I said to God, you know, Lord, we're persevering in this, but we're not seeing anything. And I felt the Lord spoke to me, and, you know, you can decide whether you think this is Lord. But um, these, it, what I mean is that some thoughts went through my mind. And I thought, was that me or was that the Lord? And my sister is a doctor, and she was training at that time to be a doctor. And I felt like the Lord said to me, how long is your sister giving to her studies to learn in the physical realm? And I said, seven years, Lord. And he said, well, why don't you give me seven years and see what happens? I thought, all right. <laughs> kind of made sense, yeah? So we kept praying. And, you know, we did that um, for about ten years. We just kept going and kept going and kept going. And after about, I don't know, six or seven years, we began to see a little bit of an increase in the number of people that got healed. And in that church today, still now, people get supernaturally healed every single week at the end of the service. We now just do prayers at the end of the service on a Sunday. You know, it was a breakthrough time where we did that midweek thing. And, um, and honestly, I'm just being honest with you, I see people healed. It's usually... I've, I, in any given week, I will, I, when I'm praying for people, I'll see at least somebody get healed at some point in the week. It's just become a completely normal, common thing. Um, but it wasn't like a, a quick thing. Um, and I think what happened was, gradually, as we just humbled ourselves and we stayed in the battle, there came a point where the Lord lifted our experience up to his word rather than us bringing his word down to our experience. Does that make sense? Now, my experience isn't fully there because I certainly don't see what Jesus... Jesus healed everybody that he prayed for i certainly don't i mean you know and i've prayed for people consistently say with, with some conditions of cancer and things like that prayed with them right through to the, when they've died and i remember one one lady she was a bit like a grandmother to me she was a woman in our church she'd been through tons of stuff she'd been she was a serb who'd been pers- who, who'd lost her family to the nazis in the world war Two, and she'd done all this reconciliation ministry she was an amazing woman of God, and she got cancer. And whenever we prayed for her, she had this real supernatural sense of joy and peace would come on her. She said, it's weird, every time you pray for me, God really touches me. I was visiting her in the hospital, we're praying every day. She said, but I'm not getting healed, why is it? Is it because I haven't got enough faith? And I said, Sasha, frankly, I don't think that's the case. I think it's probably because we as a whole church don't have the faith yet, we're like Nazareth. But you're fighting the battle, I'm fighting the battle. We'll either get breakthrough and you'll get healed, or when you die you'll be welcomed into heaven as a hero who's fallen in the battle either one's a good you know you're going to get healed anyway i guarantee i mean she was really in her last few months i said i guarantee a year from now you're going to be healed one way or the other 
you know, but let's just keep fighting, you know. And, um, and the great thing about that mindset was it doesn't start putting this guilt trip on people, you know. It's, at the same time, we're not avoiding responsibility. It's like, yeah, we do have a responsibility to repent and believe and to change and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But it's not like you're not getting healed because you don't have the faith. Does that make sense? And there's one guy who's an example of this. Um, and I'll just finish with this bit and then we're going to do um, an exercise. There's one, there's one guy um, and he had multiple sclerosis. And he came every day. So he scheduled in Monday through Friday every day he came, 7 till 7.30. And he'd had it for a long time and so he was quite bad. And, um, and uh, when it came time to pray it, during that, that little service, he always came to me. And um, it was terrible because, I mean, he never got healed. And um, honestly, I just try and avoid his gaze. You know, I, tr- I try and avoid meeting his eye. I'm, ho- I'm like, Lord, give me someone with a headache. Don't give me this guy with multiple sclerosis, you know. Every time he'd come up and say, will you pray for me? I'm like, oh, here we go. And um, we prayed for him. And what would happen is that he would feel like the Lord had met with him. He'd feel a sense of peace. But frankly, if anything, the symptoms would get mildly worse every single time. And then he'd wake up the next morning, go home, go to bed, wake up the next morning, the symptoms would be worse than they'd been. And then they'd gradually get a bit better through the day. And then um, he'd come and get prayer and it would get worse again. And he was just, you know, a hardcore warrior, really. I mean, he just said, I'm just going to keep coming. And um, we did that for 18 months. Four days, I didn't go on a Friday because it was my day off. So I prayed Monday through Thursday. It was four days a week for 18 months. And every time he asked me to pray for him, it was frankly it was fairly soul destroying it was like oh here we go again and um and then one day um same as ever before he came out and um i felt the lord said to me the thought just went through my mind don't pray in general for the condition pray specifically about the symptoms so i said well what are your symptoms today and he said well my legs are really weak i have tingling in my hands and, and numbness in my hands and i can't see in one eye i said okay well let's let's pray let's pray for your legs so I knelt down, put my hands on his legs, and just said, Lord, we just pray that you'd strengthen his legs. And you know, there's lots of scriptures about strengthening our legs and our ankles not turning, aren't there? And probably quoted a couple of those. We just said, Lord, we want you to strengthen his legs. I said, how are you doing? Because one of the things we are, we, we realize when we're praying for healing is it's always one of our get-out clauses was we pray for someone then not ask them whether they got healed. Just kind of, I've prayed for you, now we'll go on to the next thing. It's because we don't want to hear that they haven't been. So one of our disciplines was we'd always say afterwards, okay, just have a feel, is there any, has anything changed? Are you feeling any better? And I said to him, you know, how's it going with your legs then? And he said, that is really weird. My legs feel really strong. I was like, wow. I was like, quick, let's pray for everything else while it's working, you know. <laughs> you know, you know? So I said, uh, let's pray for your eyes. And he said, okay, well, it's this side that I can't see through. And he went, oh, no, that's fine. It must be that. Oh, my eyes are fine. I'm like, wow, well, what about your hands? He said, no, my hands are still tingling and numb. So he prayed for his hands. And his hands got better. He walked out there without a single symptom. It was astonishing. After 18 months, why on that day, after 18 months of praying, I've got no idea. But I tell you what, when you've prayed for somebody with MS and that's happened, you're not the same person again. I mean, my faith levels are different. And after that, we had two other people in the church healed of MS within a period of about two or three months. Um, So that was a weird thing, you know. So I think what I'm saying is... um, Let's not come up with trite, quick, easy explanations. Let's not come up with theology that adds guilt to people. Let's not do weird stuff for the sake of it. But let's try and, let's try and press into the ministry of Jesus and recognize he's called us to that ministry too. And let's recognize that there's a spiritual battle involved. And are we going to fight it? 
You know, does, does that make sense? Great. Well, I think we've got an exercise now. Is that right? And uh, do, are you going to share that? Oh, great. Thank you.